0: All right. So if you would, turn with me to your Bibles or look on the overhead to our epistle this morning in Acts chapter 2. I want to look really at the first four verses, and that will encourage you that I'm not going to try to preach the first 11. Now, typically, we give the reader of the epistle on this Sunday, it's it's kind of a hazing. It's kind of a hazing. And, And so I feel a little bit bad. You did such a good job. Andy, you did such a good job. But uh, you only give all those different names, Pamphylia, Phrygia, all those names. You only give that to someone you don't like, but we like you. It just, it was a, just, this was an accident. Uh, someone like Brent or Alvis should have been reading that today. And uh, we're sorry. But uh, in any case, you did a really good job, as you always do. And, and we really appreciate it. Uh, it is interesting. This year, for whatever reason, I was reading some commentaries that actually went into where these countries are in the modern world. It was quite fascinating. It starts with the East uh, uh, in terms of like past Iraq and Iran, a country that's, uh, that Phrygia was an was a, uh, a area of warriors above Persia or Iran, and they were so fierce that they destroyed two Roman legions, which was unheard of in the ancient world around that time. So anyway, there's all these different groups. And so basically at Pentecost, there were people who were from the Diaspora. The Diaspora is uh, this, the spread of the Jews, that they were spread out. Uh, and so various, because of the various conquests and things that had happened with the Romans and the Greeks, there were Jews who had been placed all over the ancient world. And so the countries that are represented represent all these countries in the east, then in the south, and then the west. Uh, And and so it represents the known world at that time. And because of the feast, there was representatives from all those places in Jerusalem at that time. So that's what I want to go back to first, and I want to give you a little context. There were three feasts in the Old Testament, starting in Exodus chapter 23, of which that all the Jews were commanded to make as they were able. There was people that couldn't, but but as you were able, you were supposed to go three times a year and be at the temple. And they were called pilgrimage feasts in that sense. And so the first one, of course, was Passover. And it celebrates God's deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt, which corresponds, of course, to the cross and delivering us out of the power of sin, death, the devil, and the world, the flesh, all those things. So, so it's a, there's a correspondence in the Old and the New. So you have that was the first... Uh, pilgrimage festival. Then the second one was Pentecost. And Pentecost means 50th because it's 50 days after uh, the Passover. Now, a couple important things about this. Number one, it was a celebration of the first fruits. So apparently, uh, you know, I don't know how the gardens are in Florida. Some of you are are good gardeners and hopefully uh, know how this works. Uh, I wish I had paid more attention to my grandfather. I was more interested in my grandfather than what he was doing. So he told me to pick up rocks. I picked up rocks and I was smiled about it. I was happy to do it for him, but I never really learned from him. Susan and I have been known to sort of kill almost any plant. We just thank God for plastic. And uh, that's how, anyway. So, all this to say, um, the first fruits would be the first things that they would plant. You'd have the first crop come up and it celebrated God for his goodness. First, they had purified them before they planted at Passover, remembering his deliverance and the freedom and opportunity. Then the, the, in the second feast in Pentecost, 50 days, they celebrate the first fruits, uh, the beginning of the things that God has promised. And then the last one in, in the Feast of Booths or Shavuot, the uh, pilgrimage was to celebrate the end, all the final and the fullness of the harvest. Uh, and, and so you have these three pilgrimage Shavuot, where well, there's a lot more to it. But, but anyway, you got the three, the three, foods, this, the three pilgrimage feasts. This is the second one. Now, the thing that came... The other thing that was associated with Pentecost was the giving of the law in Sinai. And so you have in Exodus chapter 19, at the 8 o'clock, we had lots of thunder and lightning happening for us along with the sermon. And and so it was really kind of exciting in the sense that at the critical points, there'd be thunder and things were happening. For you guys, not much. But anyway, uh, for them. So on the mountain in Exodus chapter 19, there was thunder and lightning. In fact, right before the giving of the law, there was a sound that was so crazy that they said it was like a sound of a trumpet. It wasn't a trumpet, but it was a sound, like a loud trumpet that happened on the mountain as there was the giving of the law. So in Pentecost, we have the giving of the Messianic Torah, the the Torah of Jesus. What is the Torah of Jesus? The Spirit? Kind of. That's a pretty good guess since it's Pentecost. Good guess. Like it. Okay, in Exodus chapter 36 and other places, the promise was, that the law that had been given at Sinai would be given by the Spirit, the promise of the Father, was that the Spirit would write it on our hearts and would take the law that we had in our hands, so to speak, that had been written and internalize it in a way that would allow us to be holy. Now, for that to happen at Pentecost, of course, there had to be Passover or the cross had to come. There had to be the purification of that to prepare us to receive the Spirit to do that for us. Uh, to write it on our hearts, so that internalize, uh, we could internalize then the law of Jesus, uh, meaning the application of the teachings of Jesus in the Old New Testament by the power of the Spirit. But it's the capacity to think the way God thinks about things, and part of the things we have to be asking, and one of the great principles of Pentecost is asking for the Holy Spirit and the grace to be repentant, to have a different kind of mind, uh, and only the Holy Spirit can show us that. In the, I think it's the prayers for evening prayer. Susan and I used to do that. Before we had kids and all that, we used to do morning and evening prayer, particularly at Oxford. We like to do that in the family devotions. But I think it's in morning prayer. The prayer says, grant us your Holy Spirit and grant us true repentance and your Holy Spirit. Meaning, if we're going to really repent, the Holy Spirit has to show us. There's all kinds of things holding us back. And if we're going to find them, we need God's grace by His Spirit to do so. Uh, And that's what we need. And this is what Pentecost is about as we're going to see now. So, Let's look at the first four verses. I've got three things, and then I want to lay hands on everybody. How about that? Would that be all right? You're probably saying, not a chance. Okay, you don't have to. All right? I wouldn't let me touch you either. I get it. All right? But to the bold, to the bold, we're going to pray a blessing upon you this morning. We're going to line you up we can. So when the day of Pentecost, 50 days since Passover, when the day of Pentecost, 10 days after the ascension, Fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. How many people were there? 120. 120 crowded in there. 10 days. 10 days. I mean, that's a, that's a prayer meeting. Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. Now, in Greek, it says of a violent wind. Now, have you ever heard a violent wind? Yes, you're from Florida. You've been around. Even in Gainesville, we have heard... Violent winds. I can remember uh, at the one house we had, it was the first hurricane, and we didn't know it, but we realized as the wind was picking up, and we never even got it really bad. Some people here maybe were on the coast or a place where it's been really bad. In Gainesville, you know, it's only been, you know, what, a third of what it's been for other people in these hurricanes. But, but I, mean, I can remember realizing if we don't throw our furniture, our outside furniture in the pool, it's going to get smashed against the window. I mean, it was a, it was a violent wind. There was no doubt it was going to be a mess. I can remember thinking, because I'd sent Susan the kids away, and I decided to stay at the house. I forget what year that was. Was that 204? Uh, in 204, and then said to them, uh, it's not that bad, not knowing that without electricity for three days, there was no air conditioning. And I realized, oh, my gosh. How did people live in Florida without air conditioning? Because it was that bad. You know, you, you're not just camping. You're camp, you, know, you camp in the woods. It's cool. It was horribly hot. It was just terrible. Uh, and, and again, this is little, little compared to what people, uh, some, of you, some of you have been through the real bad ones with Andrew and all that. I mean, I, you're living, praise the Lord, uh, but uh, could not have been living in those places and, and uh, all that. But, but imagine you're in a house, and, something, and the key here is that the sound came from heaven, and the sound representing the coming of the Spirit, and, and the key here is it came from the sky, it came from above, it was not earthly. When we're praying for the coming of the Spirit, we're praying for something that cannot be founded or initiated on earth. It must come from above. And and this is so exciting. I mean, how boring it would be if what we're praying for and asking for the Holy Spirit was something we could produce. What we need is something that's so profound that it's from above. We're praying and asking the God who loves us and died for us that the promise of the Father would be refreshed and rekindled in our lives, and it's got to come from above. The problem is that We are calling things from here, nice things and good things, the Holy Spirit that are not the Holy Spirit. You cannot mistake those things which are from above. I have been in India where the Holy Spirit has come. And you couldn't talk. I mean, I don't know what Pentecost is like. But I've been where the Holy Spirit has come and you just couldn't move. There's no way to mistake that for what we see. There must be, in light of this initiatory experience of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, we must have a hunger and a thirst and an asking and a seeking and a knocking that God would move like this because it's not like what we're seeing. It's something so much better, so much more profound. And uh, Andrew Murray's father in South Africa he prayed for 37 years every Friday. I'm on a Facebook thing with Andrew Murray, and so I get these great—I love Andrew Murray. So I get his quotes, but I, I didn't know that about his father. And then I took the link and read a, you know, like a chapter of an old book about his father. Uh, but his father had been around one of the Scottish revivals, and he prayed because he wanted that kind of revival in South Africa. Uh, and uh, 37 years, he asked and he and he sought. But it happened. They still say it was the greatest revival in South African history. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The Spirit being released on earth, the initiation of the new covenant. Jesus had died for our sins. There had been a private Pentecost for the disciples, recorded in John 20, 20, 21, where Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. A few people had personally been strengthened. A few leaders, the apostles, they'd been strengthened. Jesus breathed on them, and he said, receive. It's like saying, take it in as deep as you can. Breathe in deeply. Receive it. And a few people had begun to see it, but it was private. It was not public. What happens on the day of public got, uh, on Pentecost was public, and it was for everybody. But the key first thing is it came from above, it was initiated in heaven, and it transformed the earth. It has the power to change the earth. We do not have the power in our best day to do what God wants to do through us. And he's expecting us to see what he's asking, to see our inability, and to see in the gap God's willingness to send his Holy Spirit again. I mean, we're supposed to come to an end and say, we do our best and it's still not anywhere near what what we need to do. And it's that gap that's supposed to drive us to say, God, you have promised, God, you have provided, we've got to have it. That's what changes everything. When we start to hunger and thirst and say, we cannot settle for what we have, knowing that you have done and you will do and you have repeated this, we cannot settle for this. The problem for today is we've learned to settle in the meantime. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, there's, you know, I, for years, I was, uh, I, I was at uh, frustration, and, and I've learned to be at peace, but our le- learning to be at peace in the meantime must not cause us to hunger and thirst for what he has, which is more. So the sound comes, it comes from above. The Holy Spirit being poured out upon the earth and the people, it come from above. Then the second thing, it filled the whole house where they were, everyone, that's all really one movement, everyone was included. It's a corporate thing. It was public and corporate. Uh, we cannot receive individually the fullness of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We've got to do it together. If we could do it by ourselves, you'd be better off fishing this morning, or be hunting, or something beautiful in nature someplace, get away from the pollution, or whatever, You know, get out there, that you'd be better off. But part of the principle of worship is that it is corporate and we cannot do by ourselves the worship God requires for us to do. And we cannot give the worship by ourselves, nor can we receive the Holy Spirit the way God wants to pour himself out to us by ourselves. We're connected. When we come and take communion, we are connected. All of our stuff, our sins that have been repented of, cleansed and, and, and the Holy Spirit filling, and the things that we're carrying a baggage, the Bible says, cleanse the, cleanse the whole loaf, be careful. That yeast will get everybody. We got to be careful. We, gotta, we have great obligations as we come together and worship together and take communion because this spiritual unity which allows us to receive also allows us to be polluted by one another's sin. What a holy thing. What a wonderful thing. I can't tell you how thankful I am that I get to live my life in Christ with you. I can't imagine going it alone. Second. First sign is audible. Second sign, visible. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them okay so now they hear this incredible thing and all of a sudden now they can see that in this movement of the spirit that's coming down which they had no idea how to categorize at first all of a sudden the flames of fire and they must have been thinking about what john the baptist promised that when jesus came that he would baptize us with the holy spirit and with fire and fire represents the judgment to come And see, the beautiful thing is, there are some that the judgment to come will be in hell. But for the believer, the judgment to come is symbolized by the purifying fire of the Spirit, which cleanses us from the power of all of our sins by the blood of Jesus. We get the judgment of God in a fire-purifying way, when others will get it in a condemnation way. How tragic. And so, and so the first thing is the Spirit's coming in them corporately, and now individually the Spirit comes and provides for the grace of purification. So now individually they're able to fulfill the responsibilities to the whole because they're being purified, and the weight and the power of their sins is being broken off of them as the Spirit's fire comes upon their head. What they can see symbolizes purification, and they saw a reality, meaning that it was a symbol and a reality that's coming and resting upon them. Now I have to say, I've been so focused in the past and, and going from there to the gift of tongues, and answering all those questions, I've missed the importance. This is the crucial, well, the crucial step is, of course, the Spirit's got to come from heaven. It's what we're looking for, we can't have on earth by ourselves. I meaning it's something different. It won't be confusing. When the power of the Spirit comes, you can't confuse it with earth. That's crucial. It's got to come from heaven. Number two. But number two, it has to bring repentance. It's got to come with the power of the gospel and the cross by the Spirit to manifest The cross is power to transform us and to set us free from all those things which are holding us back on the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, applied to them as the fires on their head is they're being set free from the yoke of all their sins. All those things that they couldn't, you know, we know those things we struggle with. Do you know how many prayers I pray? Lord, give me self-control so I can eat right and exercise and do this and do this. and I mean, so many things. There are movements with the Spirit where people are given a grace to do immediately and ongoing that some of us fight for a lifetime with. I don't know why. I know he calls me to be faithful in the meantime, but I tell you, I'm longing for a day when the Holy Spirit falls fresh and liberates me from so many things that I don't seem to have the will or know how to even die to myself to receive from God what he wants to give me. You know, there's years, I guess I kind of whined and kicked and screamed. I'm at the point saying, I'm at peace with, I'm going to have to, I have to keep fighting and fighting, even though, whatever reason, in the meantime, I have not figured it out. I'd love to tell you I've got it all sorted out. As you can see, I don't, in many ways. But I tell you, there's encounters with the Spirit that sets people free. Some of you remember Charles Caron. He's been here, preached before, not many, maybe of you, but he preached probably in the early 2000s probably about 2006, you know, whatever, I don't know if that's earlier or not, but about 2006, because we have been to Toronto one or two times, and uh, Charles Carrion had been a very Calvinistic Baptist minister in the uh, dons and the free will. What's the Calvinist kind called? Not free will, but it's not just reform, it's a, it's a congregation. Anyway, go back to sleep. All right, so, um, <laughs> you're awake now, okay. All right, well, yeah. Just someone nod him and the, Ashley, you know, just kind of, he heard this before. It's a great sermon. No one could sleep, but he's heard it before. All right, so that, he's different. Don't just, you know. Oh my, it's hard to preach. with. All right. Anyway, there's a name for it. It's like, it's not free will, but it's another, it's the hyper-Calvinist kind. And it's even more intense than the Reformed Baptists, which are kind of a loose affiliation. In any case, he said to me, he said, Ron. When he, he, had been, he, he was uh, not open to the Holy Spirit. He was ministering to a guy at a church in Atlanta. He said, our kids had gone through so much stuff. We had gone through so much heartache. He said, my wife and I were suicidal. Though so he said, I was a Baptist minister, and I was as faithful as I knew how to be. He said, I was visiting an inmate in some maximum federal prison in Atlanta. And he said, this guy had had a, the feeling of the Spirit, and he laid hands on me, and he said, the Holy Spirit came upon me so profoundly, he said, Ron, I was so filled with the Lord and joy. He said, for three years, I couldn't read a paper. I couldn't do anything but worship God or read the Bible or minister. He said, I couldn't do anything. When you read about Aiden and Hilda and all the different, I mean, Cuthbert, you, you, you hear about people who live like that for a long period of time. Not that it was an opposition problem, but the Holy Spirit was upon them. We know it wasn't just at Pentecost, it's for us as well. And there is a purifying work of the Spirit that we're supposed to be asking, seeking, and knocking. We are not supposed to spend the rest of our life like white-knuckling temptation. We're supposed to be asking God for such a grace of repentance that we truly hate what He hates and we love what He loves. That's the grace He wants to give us. you got to pray for it sometimes. Some people, they get saved and it happens. My grandfather had been alcoholic. He said, the moment he said to Christ, he said, I'd never want to drink again. He said, I didn't, he said, I didn't do anything good. He said, I wasn't trying. He didn't come out of Bible study. He said, God took about all these things. You know, he had been a woman. Not, he said, God just took it away. I didn't ever want it again, thing after thing. I can, somehow I can't even say publicly. He said, but God just took it. That's like 3 or 4% of the people. The rest of us, God's asking us to ask, seek, and knock. But he really wants to do it. And he's asking us to be faithful. So, suddenly there came a sound from heaven, audible, as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were, visible. And then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one or several sat upon each of them. That's an inferred thing. A a number of translations would say, and they severally sat, meaning more than one, who knows. Uh, but, But there they were upon each of them. They had this experience. Now, into the room in the house, on them individually, and now spreading in them and through them. What a powerful thing. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if they hadn't been purified, they couldn't have been filled. I mean, it had to start from heaven. But heaven gave them the grace, and they were purified. The purification is the key. Without the purification, they couldn't have got to the filling. This morning, what I want to pray is the grace of purification and repentance. That's what I need more than anything. I can't, I mean, I can tell you, I don't know anything right now. I prayed long before now, Lord, show me my sins. But I can tell you, there's been years where I asked the Lord and I didn't see it. And then years later, I realized, oh, I was so proud. I was so arrogant. I, I mean, I, the Lord, in time, what I couldn't see at the moment, God has showed me later. And I'm thinking, I can't trust even my own conscience because my conscience is imperfectly formed. I mean, in general terms, yes. But I can tell you, at least for me, there have been many cases where in time I could see what I could not see. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. I wish I could say, you know, hey, it never happened to me. I can tell you, in my case, uh, I've been so religious and so judgmental and so proud. and so I, I, Many things God showed me later, and I'm just, I, I'm so grieved about it. But this morning, my prayer is not, I normally in Pentecost, I'm thinking, would you pour out your gifts? This morning I'm saying, would you pour out your gift of conviction that we could truly repent that we might be prepared for your spirit? Because I am utterly convinced that the gifts and the tongues and all that, it will come if we're in the right relationship. What we need is the grace to be pure. And that's something that comes only from God in this kind of way. And there appeared in them divided tongues as a fire, one set of each of them, four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And... Because they were filled, they could not contain. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit. I mean, they were able now to speak in tongues. The great dividing thing of all culture and history was at the Tower of Babel because of the way that collectively human beings were using their capacity to rebel against God, to make a name for themselves, to say, we don't need God. All the the way they've been creating the image of God, they had all these gifts and power, and they learned in technology to make the ziggurat better than just stone buildings. And they were able to build a building that was so big, it was a symbol of human achievement. And instead of saying, isn't it neat what we can do because God made us, it said, isn't it neat what we can do? We don't need God. We live in an age just like that. Where the very things and intelligence and capacity God's given us, instead of glorifying Him in it, we've rebelled against Him. So God in punishment, because He's just said, he was not going to destroy them again in a flood and he wasn't going to destroy them again to the very end by fire. He graciously gave them languages, separate their languages so they could not understand. Language is the building block of every culture. God was the one who created every single culture on the earth. Some cultures, in, so every culture, number one, reflects the glory of God if you could understand it properly. Even ones that appear to be completely hostile to God. Every, because the image you got every culture reflects the glory of God. Number one. Number two. Every culture has because we're imperfect, will have things that need to be redeemed within it. Okay, uh, but but isn't it amazing? So Pentecost shows as the book, uh, book end the Babel. Now, by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit that divided. Now there's a principle in Jesus by the Holy Spirit that can purify us and by His presence that can bring unity where there otherwise could not exist unity. And that even language is the very foundation of culture, that will not separate us if what is in common in Christ is exalted. Even our distinctive things about being Dutch or French or whatever it is we are, even those things, our, those things cannot get in the way of a people that is filled with the Spirit, manifesting His love and His gospel in our lives. But it means that Jesus must be, we live in an age of which the world is focusing on everything which is different at its peril. But we have the secret, and we must ask, seek, and knock, that we would be so filled with the Spirit that the love that we have and the exaltation of Jesus would not deny our cultural past and all that stuff, but would bring it into focus and clarity that there is a way forward in Christ. There is a unity and a love that's bigger than those things which divide. And otherwise would separate, and it comes by the and tongues was that gift to show that the power of God was there to bring unity and to bring about the end of His glorious purpose that everybody would be properly connected to Him. That's what this is about. Now, there's four views of tongues. Let me just say it briefly. There's the group, the Pentecostal. Tongues are essential, and without which you're not really living. Uh, That's one view. There's a second view, and the second view is that all ended uh, at 100 A.D. or whatever, that once we had the Bible, we didn't need the Holy Spirit because everything's so easy now, just having the Bible. We don't need that kind of power today. I was raised like that. You talk about a, just just to think about for a minute. If there's ever a church in this this time in history that needed the power, it's ours. And yet there are people who still insist we don't need that, all we have to do. And basically it says, the Bible is simple to read, just agree with me, and everyone will do it right. Except for we have 55,000 denominations or something, because everybody does not agree. Matter of fact, you can't have the Holy Spirit. The tongues that show that there's a way of unity and forward, despite our differences, without tongues, those people who don't believe in it, and don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that unifying force still being needed and necessary, have divided the church into at least something like 50, 55,000 denominations, depending on how you count denominations. Then there's a group that says seek not forbid not meaning it's kind of dangerous only if you're real crazy go for it we won't tell you you can't come to church here but be careful be careful you start trying to listen to god and stuff you could get it wrong you can make mistakes the devil could get in the way yeah he can all those ain't true but you got to believe ultimately that the good things for god are too good to let the enemies Keep us from it meaning we're not going to be mocked out of the possibilities because we'll have to learn and repent along the way If we get it wrong, surely we'll get some things wrong We got a real big savior But we're not bearing our treasure in our capacity We want to be fruitful and we cannot be fruitful without the power and leading of the spirit So the fourth view is to say eagerly pursue the gifts We cannot afford not to be filled the spirit and have every gift Jesus will give us I don't believe everyone has to pray in tongues. I don't, I don't. It's not about tongues. Okay, it's about the power of the Spirit being holy and being fruitful, in whatever gift Jesus wants to give us. I don't care. I have not really ever prayed. I want to say ever, but it is not my way to pray for people to get tongues. I pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. I am now going to back up and pray that people would have the grace to be pure. The cleansing, it's the cleansing that would bring the other. I think the reason our prayers have not been answered about the gifts is we've not asked the Holy Spirit to come and to purify us and to set us free from sin, that the Spirit can indwell us fully. I mean, we've got him, but, but he's not been stirred up appropriately. Uh, we've backslid, and we've got off the track in some ways, and God wants to bring us back into unity and wholeness. So our view here, the Anglican view, the Catholic view, believe it or not, the official teaching of the Catholic Church, the official teaching Anglican, hey, go for it. We don't do confirmation without saying, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to fill you powerfully and release every gift in you. That's embedded in every single confirmation service in the Anglican Church. Now, yes, are there people who didn't believe it when they said it as bishops? Yes, that's true. But it's, you can see it's in the prayer book. That's what we believe. If some knucklehead doesn't know or didn't believe it, that's not our fault. Okay? It's in the book. We, that's what we are for. Okay? I, I can't tell you how shocked I've been with some and how shocked some Anglicans have been with me because some Anglicans don't think I'm a real Anglican because I was raised Baptist. But all I have to do is show them their prayer book. And to them, for some of them, their prayer books got more value than the Bible. Shouldn't be that way, but for some of them, that's how they are. I cannot tell you how shocked some have been when I've taken them to the confirmation service. They haven't realized what they've been saying all these years. We do realize it and we mean it but we need the power to be pure and holy. That's what's kept us from experiencing his fullness and the gifts. It's ridiculous asking for the gifts over here. If we haven't understood that we need the power of that tongue symbolized on the head to purify us, to set us free from the power of sin and to cleanse us, because he will not dwell in us and fill us and use us if he hasn't first cleansed us. I'm so embarrassed. That this is the first year in 23, 22 years of being here. That that second piece of purification was clear to me. I I just jumped to the tongue of fire, tongue of the... I, I didn't realize. I don't know how I could miss something so obvious when you slow down. But there it is for us. There it is. All right, this morning. What's the takeaway? The takeaway is we need the Spirit to be holy and to cleanse us that he might fill us. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to pray for you this morning for the grace of the Holy Spirit to come like symbolized by the fire in those people's heads that the fire of God would touch us and cleanse us. All right? And then I want to ask. So this is what's going to happen. For the bold and wild and crazy, okay, if you're wild and crazy, you're going to go back like that. You're going to come around like this And on the first station, I'm going to be here and I'm going to anoint you and just ask for the fire of God and the cleansing to come and to set you free. Then we're going to have four or five people over here. We'll have Deacon Larry, which we don't really like to use him as a deacon, but he's a deacon, we're going to use him. We'll have Don, we'll have Ken, we'll have Don, we'll have Jackie, we'll have some others over here. Carmen, I mean, there's others, but but we're going to ask you to come over here. So I'm going to be in the first station. I'm just going to anoint everybody. Hopefully it'll be a short prayer hopefully, right? And lay hands, and then we're going to ask that the Lord would re-stir up. We believe that everybody knows Jesus has the Holy Spirit. The picture they're doing in the, in the Sunday school this morning is they're having a glass of milk. I don't know if I read this or if the Lord gave it to me. I can't remember, but, but there was a year, years ago, I was preaching on this, and the idea came to me somewhere or other of a glass of milk with the chocolate syrup poured in the bottom. Now, part of the reason I look like I do is that when I put chocolate syrup in milk, I put a lot of it in there. There's normally a good inch or so back in that bottom. You don't have any problem when you see a glass of milk that I put the chocolate in, you, you guarantee you could see that chocolate. So I mean, it's chocolate on the bottom, milk. When you get saved, the chocolate serves in there. What the Holy Spirit comes to do in these Pentecostal moments is that he stirs up his presence within us and fills us and transforms us. That's what we're asking. That's what we've got to have. We cannot be the people we, that we're called to be, the people we are created to be. We cannot be the church. We cannot be the mission. None of these things are possible without God touching us and meeting us. And this morning, I'm going to pray, Lord, would you cleanse us? And then would you fill us? Lord, we're asking. Lord, that you'd come from heaven to purify and then stir up your presence within. Oh, Lord, we're so hungry and thirsty. We ask in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So we get up.